Oh, yeah. Testing. One, two, three. Testing. Are we ready to go? I'm ready to have some fun. All right. Are we on? We are on. Oh, yeah. Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? No, but I love them anyways. (laughs) It only took us uh, 25 minutes to figure out the music. It was 26. It was so bad that Dave called Holesclaw. Called Holesclaw and says, what's the name of that song again? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Theology on Mission podcast. Don't turn down the music. What no, do? I'm turning it up. Turn that music up. By the way, you got two wintergreens over there. Can I have one? Yeah, I, I actually got two because I knew you'd want one. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Northern Seminary Live. Wait, no, that's the name of uh, actually. Uh, but we are live from Northern Seminary. Exactly. And uh, we're so good to be back here. Uh, we've been a little lackadaisical at getting the Theology on Mission podcast out. I blame this entirely on the noob. I'm now I, calling it I the take, noob. I take all the responsibility on myself. Uh, Mr. Michael Moore to my right, uh, I, you're really not the noob. Actually, I think you're getting so good at this, you might turn into a professional sound tech <laughs> in another life, getting paid $100 an hour. Yeah, that's my new bivocational sustainability model. Oh, there you go. Yeah. we got to have a podcast on bivocational sustainability models. I'm big into that. Yeah, making lots of money being a pastor. All right, we just went oh, too wait, far. Oh, wait, never mind. So you don't think a hot dog is a sandwich? Um, you kind of hit me over the head with that one because that's a new question for me. Is it a theological question or is it just a practical just question? Just a practical question. Well, then it doesn't belong on theology. Wait, theology on mission is theology and practice. Yes, which is a good lead because we have a conference coming up the brady lectures theology and mission lectureship coming up it's still a good four and a half months away yeah but it's reggie williams he's going to be here he's a professor of theology and ethics at Mm -hmm. mccormick and he's going to be talking about um social incarnational embodiment what the black church can teach the rest of the church about mission. It's going to be great two days. Yeah. I hope you're all making uh, plans to be with us. It's mm-hmm. June 7th. No, yep. 6th and 7th. And 7th. Yeah. The evening of the 6th, the morning of the 7th. Make sure you're here. Now let's get to the subject at hand. Let's do it. Yeah, so today's podcast is about uh, scripture and the Bible. And uh, we're going to do three podcasts in a row. And um, I have a book coming up. It's called uh, The Church of Us Against Them. And, you know, since Baker changed the name of it, I can't remember the <laughs> Jab. tagline. Darn it. But I've got it here. Uh, fill in for me while I get it. Will you I got you. Something? Uh, Dave's book's coming out in June, <clears throat> right? The end of June. End of June. Uh, the book talks about, well, talks about a lot of things, but he's really looking at the antagonisms in the church and the ideology behind it that causes people to, um, sorry, I'm just laughing at you. Uh, that causes people to to be uh, to okay. become enemies. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put this it. This is about the worst, most pathetic book promo I have ever heard in my lifetime. It has all kinds of great endorsements. <laughs> but the church of us versus them. 
freedom from a faith that feeds on making enemies. And, uh, you know, uh, we are caught up in a time when everything turns into an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the church gets caught up in these arguments. The church becomes an argument. Uh, antagonisms swirl around the church. And uh, what I aim to do in this book is kind of first outline how ideology works to take us out of actually being the gospel, practicing the gospel, living the gospel, to making uh, the gospel about a concept that we turn into a banner that uh, rallies us against other people. Yeah. Does that make sense to you yeah, what I just said? When you say banner, you mean like like the image is like a parade, right? Like carrying a banner and people being behind the banner. Or a political rally. Okay, yeah. And uh, there's always a moniker on a political rally. Mm-hmm. Change you oh, can believe in. Yeah, we're voted for a mayor in Chicago in the next couple of weeks, and it is everywhere. And what's his moniker? Um, which which one are we talking? There's, uh, there's make Chicago great again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that but that does illustrate how um, make America great again right. turned into a moniker. It's it's actually secretively got a lot of Im- uh, content. It it arouses anger and uh, antagonism right. against people who stole America from us. Right. And since us is mostly white people, mm-hmm. and uh, and hearkening to a time when America was great, supposedly yes, sixties, fifties, seventies, when we had these kind of jobs and this kind of right. and these um, kind of people, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, what happens is a banner uh, uh, becomes a moniker, or uh, what I call in the book a signifier, mm-hmm. and it rallies us against other people. And this happens all the time in the church. Yes. And one of the ways it happens is with the Bible. Yeah, so we want to talk today about the Bible on this podcast and how uh, often the Bible becomes um, something that doesn't draw us together into the being a people on mission in the presence of Christ, but hmm. actually becomes a tool to rally us and divide us against one another. Right. So you read the first chapter. Do you yeah. have any... Uh, uh, you know, the chapter talks about what happens when the Bible becomes part of the enemy-making machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you talked a little bit about uh, the history of the modernist fundamentalist controversy. Controversy. Um, short little history. Modernists were from the school of historical criticism, looking at Scripture as uh, a recording of God's interactions with people. That's kind of what scripture is on the modernist end. Um, um, well, I would say the modernist approach to scripture is kind of this historical study of bits and pieces, backgrounds, what do these words mean right. kind of thing. And uh, uh, when, when the historicity of scripture started to get attacked, in especially the turn of the last century, mm-hmm. um, you know, a defense emerged called the inerrancy defense. And, right. and I actually think for that time and that place, uh, when modern science and historiography was kind of like the central defining way to engage the world, it actually made for pretty good defense. The, the defense of like 
Okay. And People like B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield, Warfield mm-hmm. and, and the Princeton defense and so forth. Yeah. Uh, but what happens, you know, skate ahead. Uh, notice I said skate ahead. Oh, yeah. A nice hockey reference. Yeah. 50 years or 70 years. Um, inerrancy actually uh, uh, is a, doesn't mean much anymore. The Bible is inerrant. Inerrant according to who? The original autographs. The original autographs, where are they? Uh, well, it's, it's inerrant according to the original autographs, but if you find a historical error, it, it could have happened in between the his, right. original autographs right. and now. And so inerrancy becomes kind of like an empty signifier. signifier. Yeah. It doesn't really mean anything, and it comes to signify those who believe in the Bible against those liberals who don't. Right. And um, as far as actually practicing the Bible, um, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah, we're just talking about whether it's an Aaron or not. Yeah, so in that chapter, uh, I try to talk about how maybe inerrancy isn't as common of, a, of an issue, although surprisingly it keeps cropping up. Mm-hmm. Now, in my own denomination, inerrancy still is in the... Uh, is in the documents, the uh, statements of belief. Interesting. And I, I don't have a problem uh, saying the Bible is inerrant. I, but I, you know, famously, I said it's a little too liberal for me. Or right. It's a little too can, weak. Can you unpack? Defense. Can you unpack that? Well, you know, it's based on these ideas that historiography um, and uh, the historical study criticism. Of uh, it's without error, and I'm, I'm always worried about well, who gets to call the shots here is it modern science right or is it the bible right and if modern science comes up with an error do i suddenly start to worry that everything i believe in yeah. about the authority of scripture is not true and actually i just think that's the wrong way to look at the authority of scripture right to try to verify creation accounts flood accounts miracles yeah we put too much faith in science i know i sound like a dinosaur here mm. like a fundamentalist rebelling against a science but actually no it's actually two or three moves later where we realize science has its own agenda right and we want to dialogue with it but let's discern it and let's mm-hmm. not give it more authority than it deserves yeah, yeah. yeah that's good are you with me on that yeah right? no, I'm, I'm with you 100 <clears throat> sometimes we're asking questions of scripture that shouldn't be asked sometimes we're at, let me repeat that sometimes sometimes we're, we're asking, asking questions, questions of scripture, scripture that shouldn't be asked so for example i think when you take primarily a scientific view of say genesis one and two we might be asking the wrong questions about genesis one and two yeah yeah um we're importing uh 21st century ideas of modern science and even evolution or even uh and and there's nothing wrong with dialoguing uh, about that bio logos and all those other people do a fine job doing that but let's not just give it unheralded uh or or discerned authority over the Bible yeah. is my argument. Yeah. Okay, so uh, can you think of ways that the Bible then turns into a, um, it, it, no, um, it become out of inerrancy, we get attached to the idea that if I can just find the right words mm-hmm. to back up a truth, mm-hmm. because each one is verbally inspired, then I will win the argument. Oh, yeah. Can and, I think of an error way that's been used with Scripture? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the... M- <sighs> Maybe I shouldn't always go to this, but it just feels like the most prominent one, uh, gay and lesbian sexuality. You know, these six scriptures. Seven, actually. Seven, thank you. Yeah. These seven scriptures determine how gay and lesbian people should live their sexuality. So if you can prove it based on those seven scriptures, 
and you've won the argument. And if you Google those seven scriptures, they're called clobber passages. That's right, the clobber passages. Yeah, and and okay, so just not to not to get upset on just one side of the debate. Mm-hmm. So the conservatives use scripture in this way. Right. The progressives use scripture yeah. in the same oh, abso- exact way. Absolutely. So uh, tell me, how do the conservatives use it? Well, the conservatives find you know the seven passages that are clear about A, B, C, or D regarding mm-hmm. sexuality, and they just throw them at the other side and say, you're wrong. The progressives say, well, uh, out of 30,000 verses in the whole entire Bible, there's only seven on this. But what about the 452 right about, money. Ab- about greed? What about the 625? And it seems like this is actually a minor issue. And then, and then actually, if you look deeper into these passages and dissect the historical critical origins, you can make arguments that they are not referring to the exact same thing right, that the current day language context. is referring to in terms of sexuality. And we just get into endless arguments <clears throat> yeah. of us versus them. Yes. Yes. This becomes the practice of the evangelical church. And the world looks on and goes, really? You're <laughs> arguing about this? About that off a 2,000-year-old document that says if you are a menstruating woman, you must separate yourself in a dungeon for 30 days or something. Right, and you can't wear clothes with cotton and polyester. Yeah, and there's no sense of what God is doing through Scripture as a whole long narrative. Mm -hmm. We We take these texts and use them as clobber passages. I think this is a mistake. I think that this is maybe we need to get out of this a pattern of enemy making of the church of us versus them. And how do you think that we should? Mm-hmm. Well, before we go on that, I, I yeah. got another example yeah. of this. Go for it. Um, in the book, I talk about the word biblical. Mm-hmm. And I suggest that the word biblical is this word that kind of, you know, you. Right. Is you, your preaching biblical? Yeah. Or, or if you're in an argument, that's not biblical. Oh, yeah. Or this is biblical. And when you get when you ask the question, what do you mean by biblical, or can you point to a specific text? And if you thought about these two or three other interpretations of this text, we 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 uh, never get there. Instead, biblical becomes this empty signifier for the inerrant Bible, basically mm-hmm. that says, "Hey, I've got the Bible on my side," right? And it shuts down the conversation. Right? Yeah, it becomes a way just to tell the other person to be quiet. And so somehow the Bible has gotten pulled into what I call in this book the enemy-making machine. The enemy-making machine. Which it sounds like a movie. Sorry. Enemy-making <clears throat> machine. 2019 Mike Moore producer Dave <laughs> Fitch. What would I do in that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you'd narrate the, the trailer. I'd do the trailer. Yeah. Enemy-making machine... But you're saying the enemy-making machine by the enemy. Uh, that's a good point. Like in the enemy-making machine, what I'm really trying to do is is kind of popularize what I've learned through the study of ideology and the critique of ideology and how uh, ideas work to gather people into groups against groups and keep people locked in to particular ideologies, never get taking care of the problems of a sociological group on the ground. Hmm. Is that... Was that too... Um, no, it's great. Did that make sense? Yeah, enemy-making machine. Yeah, and so I feel like the church gets caught up in the enemy-making machine. So um, what I argue for is to get us out of the enemy-making machine, 
we need a new, um, not new, we need an old or bigger view of what the scripture is Mm -hmm. and the practice of that as communities. And I argue, I don't argue, to argue is to get caught up in the enemy making machine. You suggest? That's too passive. Um, I propose Mm -hmm. and submit to you Mm -hmm. the idea that the Bible is a grand drama of God. Yeah. I'm following people like Van Hooser, yeah, Von Wright. Baldassar, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher Wright. Craig Bar- Bartholomew does this? He does? Mm-hmm. Did you have to bring up a Reformed guy? Yeah, sorry. You know how I'm an Anabaptist <laughs> and we sometimes get a Just trying to appeal to a wider audience. Wider audience, yes. So we love you Reformed people out there. <laughs> really, we do. I was just kidding. That was a little joke between me and Mike Moore. He is Reformed, Mike Moore. Ish, Yes. He is a C, member of a CRC That's right. uh, denomination, and he's an advocate uh, and doing great work for them. Okay, but I digress. So what's the solution? Okay, I'll just, I'll just say we need to understand the Bible is a grand drama. Think about it. Um, no one really starts an argument by telling a story. <laughs> uh, right. To tell a story is to un unravel a great reality. Do you have that in the book? Sorry. That, and invite people good, into it. It's a good point. Uh, but to start an argument says, I believe in A for reasons B, C, and D, mm-hmm. and your idea is not A. Right. And then the person who has not A says, your your reason B, D, and E is wrong for this reason. And we go back and forth. Right. And it's an argument, and the struggle is to win the argument, to tell a story is to un- unravel a, a, a compelling reality mm-hmm. and to invite others in. And and when you are invited into the story, it doesn't mean you don't have any questions about it or you don't see any empty spaces. Right. Or, or actually, you might have a counter story, but it's different than starting an argument. You're, mm-hmm. na- you're co-narrating a reality. Right. And I just believe understanding the Bible and proclaiming the reality that Jesus is Lord uh, and inviting people into it is the dominant metaphor for how the Bible is to be understood and lived. Yeah. So you, you're suggesting or you're proposing that we move Scripture from being this uh, text that we have mastery over to yes. us, like submitting to it. Instead, of, maybe to do a turn of phrase, instead of us reading Scripture, Scripture reads us. We are participants in what God is doing. Isn't that a Balcom? Uh, uh, Say Malcolm, uh, no. <coughs> Richard Balcom, isn't that a Richard? Balcom? I don't know. Pro- probably, what uh, I just said was the probably Bible, not the for Bible me. is mission. It's a great little book. Oh if yeah, I got yeah, it yeah, right. yeah. You remember that? Yeah, a great little book. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think that was a quote from him, and you stole it from him, which uh, means footnote, which means Richard this was Balcom. plagiarism, and I'm going to have to report <laughs> you to the academic committee. No, I don't think you can plagiarize on a podcast. I think that's uh, not possible. So, so the idea is that we are actually participants in Scripture. And I think actually, I think it's N.T. Wright or Craig Bartholomew has this idea that Scripture is divided into different acts, different 
parts of the drama. Well, Van Pooser has it. And oh, yeah, McKnight has it. I have it in a footnote. Right. He's upstairs. That McKnight and <clears throat> Van Hooser. Actually, he doesn't like to be compared with, with Van Hooser. They go to the same church, by the way. I find that interesting. <laughs> uh, but they have different accounts of the story. One is a Reformed. One is a more right. Anabaptist one right. where the kingdom is more central. And, mm-hmm. you know, First Samuel 8 and that debacle is more central to the first act, whereas it's creation, uh, re- it's creation Israel... Uh, I can't prophets, right? Uh, creation, Israel. Well, creation, fall, redemption. There's a lot of different I, parts I, of the I drama. I have it in a footnote right now, but it might take me a while yeah. to find it in this manuscript. But but our part in in uh, this drama is that we are we know where the story is going, uh, the and we are in the act of the church. So we are continuing the drama that Scripture narrates, and we know where we're going with the eschaton. So we are called to faithfully continue the drama of God yes. in a way that is coherent with what happened before us and where we are going. Yeah, so I've been influenced by uh, Von Baldeschar on this, uh, Van Hooser to a certain extent, certainly Karl Barth on this, and uh, understanding that that the Bible is this unfolding of God in history, which means, by the way, that God comes into history, which means there's a progressive redemptive hermeneutic, that's William Webb, mm-hmm. which means we can read it in a more fuller way than picking out texts and yeah. throwing them at each other. Now, how do we, as a people, participate and and make and become part of this story? Mm-hmm. And that changes uh, the way we preach, yeah, and it changes the way we read the Bible together. Mm-hmm. It cha- it's it's a whole new, I don't want to say whole new practice, but we recover the practice yeah. of reading Scripture together in yeah. our disputes. Yeah, can you, can you tell me how it changes the way that we read Scripture? Well, uh, I I have here uh, I put in like two paragraphs that recount our own church's struggle with the women in ministry issue. Mm -hmm. And we had a wonderful seven weeks. We were on the verge of, we're just a church plant, we were on the verge of selecting elders. And several women were nominated as elders. Uh, We had had women pastors, (laughs) which in our denomination, pastors and elders are two different people, although they overlap. Mm -hmm. And the question has always been, can a pastor be an elder or an elder be a pastor? And are they one and the same thing? And if they are, well, can women be pastors? Anyways, this all came to a head in our church. And we had a few people who said, I really don't get how we justify women as pastors. So we took seven weeks. We studied the scripture. Hmm. We listened key. We listened to all the voices. We made sure that even though we, 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 just like Acts chapter 15, we heard about all the things women had been used of God in our church in the last five, six, mm-hmm. seven years to minister, and we listened to the Holy Spirit. But most of all, we listened to Scripture, especially those texts, which were difficult texts, and we listened to each other and how we interpreted them. Right. And, you know, it was, at the end, we, we took not a vote, but a consensus-taking uh, time, one mm-hmm. to five, and there were five is you're totally agreeing on it one you have hmm. absolute this is evil this is of satan i cannot go with it right, there right. was no ones most almost everybody was fives but those that were fours who didn't quite agree with everything mm-hmm. still sensed the work of the holy spirit 
learned to trust one another and what hmm. God was doing in this congregation and could go with the whole group consensus. And I believe it uh, really showed what is possible when we listen to one another. Yeah, It's a way of reading the text together, not just one expert right. expertly exegeting every word, <laughs> going together with a few other people saying, here's our policy statement. Now we'll dictate it to the congregation. We will take a question and answer, but in the end, if you don't agree, leave. Right. right. We're going to make up our mind without you. Instead, we gathered um, all the people that were interested in this topic and wanted to discern it for the future of our church which ended up being around 25 people. Mm -hmm. And we just spent time together over seven weeks. That's great. And it was a marvelous way to learn how to read Scripture together yeah. in mutual submission, allowing the presence of Christ by praying each time and opening space mm -hmm. for the presence of Christ by the Spirit to work in the gifts of his people. Yeah. And it, it took time, and you weren't necessarily encouraging people to just read blog posts on their own. You're encouraging them to be in community with each other and to read and to listen to each other. Certainly okay to read blog posts, especially if they're mine. Certainly okay <laughs> to read books. Certainly okay. But please, when please we gather books. together, we mutually submit one to yeah. another and listen to each other and read the text under the Lordship of Christ as mm -hmm. God's working in this people. So anyways, I just think there's a way to look and see and understand the Bible and affirm its authority and live under its authority right. that does not turn into an us versus yeah. them. Can I tell you how I was taught this at a young age? Yes, and we'll close the podcast <clears throat> off mm -hmm. with this. So when I was in Pioneer Clubs, which is also like a wanna, um, we were taught when we would do Bible study, we would get all the chairs in a circle and they would always make sure that there was an empty chair in the circle. And it, it, it sounds pretty corny, but the empty chair was there for Jesus. And inevitably, you know, we're in fifth grade. So somebody like sits on Jesus or it's Jesus that farted. That's why it smells in the room. I but can't it, believe you said <laughs> farted on the air. <laughs> oh no. But but what my I, mother's going to be shocked. <laughs> what I love about that image, even though it's a little corny as a as a ten year old, is we are recognizing that we're, as now we're reading scripture, we're going to pull up a chair for Jesus because Jesus is present, and we're making space actually in the circle for for Jesus because when we are reading a scripture, we believe that Jesus is is manifest by the power of the Holy yeah. Spirit and there to help us discern and to listen to each other. Yeah, I don't know about you, but. Um, Alexander Schmemann has taught me much about the sacramental nature mm -hmm. of opening the text and proclaiming the gospel. Yeah. And he just has a great understanding that the presence of God inhabits the word of God. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when I get up and preach, okay, it used to be when I was young, like you. Yes. No, actually younger than you. What? Yeah. I was younger than you at one time. <laughs> My son, when I say, when I say, oh, I actually put this in the book. Uh, when I say to my son, I go, Max, I've been everywhere you are. I, I have gone through a lot of the things you've gone through. He'll say something like, Dad, you mean you were 13 once? <laughs> you weren't born like this? <laughs> was, was President Lincoln alive at the time? Okay, but anyways, uh, when, I, was, when I, I used to preach, and I, in my early days of preaching, I used to get up, and I was at this large church. I don't want to mention their name because I don't want to defame them, uh, but they're a large church in Chicago yes, to this day. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to talk yep. about it. But I, I used to get up there, and, and I feel like I was performing. Hmm. And I feel like I had finally scripted a great sermon. I even wrote in the little jokes. 
But I feel like I was communicating mechanically. Every word had to be right. Hmm. And I have since learned now to pray the presence of Christ uh, as I enter the pulpit. And I so wanted to be aware of God being present in this place and me submitting to his presence and being present to the people. And that's changed the way I preach. That's great. That's great because uh, actually this week I was taking questions from listeners, things they wanted to ask us. And one of the questions was from somebody who had just got done listening to a 50-minute sermon. And they said, what is the purpose of preaching? Like, how did we get to this place where yeah. we have, you know, 50-hour minutes? Yeah, well, uh, I have no problem with a 50-minute hour-long sermon if it is indeed unfolding in a in a gifted way, the right. story of God and who he is and what he's doing and how he is Lord and how he operates mm-hmm. and how he's working in and through and calling people in the imagination yeah. of 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 the text and what God is doing in the world uh, and then inviting them in. But too often we go into these long, pedantic, explanatory uh, uh, of the text and what each word means. You know, um, Okay, not to diverge. Too, we've gone too long on this podcast already. But when I was, when I and my wife were first starting Life in the Vine, and there was a guy, uh, his name was James McDonald, and he was I've heard of him. And yeah. he uh, had Harvest Bible Chapel, and uh, people used to come and say, they "Tell me, I want to go to a church that preaches the Word of God, yes, word for word, yep. sentence for sentence, mm-hmm. biblical preaching." And James did that so well, and. Uh, but that's just not enough, folks. Nope. We need to be called into the world of Jesus as Lord. And it's only out of mutual submission and mutual unfolding of the gospel and funding the imagination by the Spirit for what he's doing that we preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're praying for Harvest Bible Chapel and yes. all they're going through right now. It's we're praying for Willow Creek and all they're going through mm-hmm. right now. And we're calling people to a new way of reading the Bible together and, and being called into his mission. I hope this has been help. Uh, are we doing any of the old things we used to do yet? Or we've got? I do have some old things, actually. You do? Do you think we have time for it? Yes. Okay, so I, you I thought... Have an, you have one of the old things that Holesclaw used to I think I thought bag. we could bring back up um, uh, the Fitch versus... The Fitch on Fitch. The Fitch versus Fitch. Do you want to do it? Which is basically an antagonism. <laughs> and basically it's whole, an antagonism that Holesclaw uh, invented. So if you read The Church of Us versus Them, feed, Freedom from a Faith of... Mm-hmm. feeds enemies maybe he wouldn't be doing it anymore right well he'll have to read it here in june when everybody else gets to read it um but what whole squad used to do is he used to find a social media post from dave and have him kind of riff on it i decided to do a little bit of time travel Ooh, yeah so this is circa december 15th 2011 are you kidding me yeah so i feel like i'm <laughs> I was young back then. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was good looking back then. Here we go. Okay, let's Here not go. take it too far. Pulled my son out of hockey practice half hour early to make communion. He asked why. I said, hockey means nothing without the Eucharist. I think I'm going to cry. Oh, God. I think <laughs> I'm going to cry. That brings such warm feelings to my heart. Oh, that's good. One, because it's hockey. Two, because it's Eucharist. Or I should say one, and because your it's son. Yeah. Eucharist. Two, because it's hockey. And three, because it's, because it's Max. But... Uh, yeah, um, we were talking about hockey. What were we saying just before the 
podcast. I can't believe the Blackhawks won seven games in a row. <laughs> By the way, I hate the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they're going to be back, friends. All you Pittsburgh fans, you're going down. <laughs> Folks, uh, this has been a great podcast. We're going to go through uh, two more things, mm-hmm. two more ways that uh, the church gets caught up in the enemy-making machine. We're going to talk about the way conversion gets caught up in the enemy-making machine. Next podcast, listen for us next week. And then the following week, how the church has politics gets caught up in the enemy making machine i know that's hard for you to believe yeah surprise Um, so stay with us we're going to be uh back on the podcast making machine oops (laughs) that's good that's good (laughs) and 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 we look forward to being with you give us a review uh, on itunes on itunes share us with your friends share us with with everyone friends and uh, we'll see you next time it's over and out